Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshah.net. Interview 4. Sacrament Alternatives with Yvonne Cassidy. As many listeners to this show will know, I wasn't raised in a Catholic family or Christian family for that matter, so I never made my communion or my confirmation. I actually love the terms my communion or my confirmation, but I never made either of those sacraments. Um, But I went to a Jewish school, as many people know, so I wasn't sat at the back of the class while all my friends uh, were getting prepped and I was made feel like I was the only one not having a big party. But when my friends did have their communion uh, and confirmation. I did go along to my best friend at the time's communion. And I remember two things about it. Number one, it was the first time I remember being in a church. And I remember it being quite a, you know, stuffy affair in a way. It was a church service. And um, the other thing I remember was at the end, he was opening up cards and all of those cards contained five pound notes. And I remember thinking, this guy must be the richest guy in the world. But there was no party, there was no bouncy castles, there was no cupcakes with crosses and his name on them, or anything like that, like there is nowadays. And because I went to a Jewish school, I guess I was sheltered somewhat from the exclusion. I probably may have felt even then if I had gone to one of those schools. Unfortunately, that's not a luxury most families in Ireland have if they're not raising their children in the Catholic faith because most of them have to go to a Catholic school and in second class and sixth class in particular, they have to generally be left out of a huge swathe of the year where their friends are being basically prepped for a big party Um, and the religious part of it may I suppose have paled a little bit into significance as people have become more secularised and in fact they're really only interested in the celebrations such as sacraments which they've outsourced to schools. The I suppose effect of this is that there are a number of families who are seeking alternatives to sacraments because in a way it has become so commercialised that it feels almost I wouldn't say abusive is quite the right word, but it seems really, really unfair that there's a, uh, having a child being the only child in a class having no party. So many families decide to bring their um, maybe child out uh, for some people are very luxurious and they bring them off to Euro Disney for the weekend, such as the luxury of many communions and confirmations. It actually, the sum of that holiday is possibly equivalent to the sum of how much it costs or how much the person's getting for the communion. But some families have alternative little parties in their house with their families and so on. Um, this week, I decided I would talk to somebody called Yvonne Cassidy, who may mean nothing to you. But when I tell you who she is, you might be interested in finding out what she does because she is the chair of the Ethical Celebrant Society and they wrote to all Educate Together schools um, about a month ago and I, had the, I was cheeky enough, I suppose, to ask her if she'd talk to me about something they're about to do, which is not quite an alternative, but it feels like an alternative to communions and confirmations because they happen around the same time. I was eager to find out more about this latest offering from the Irish Ethical Celebrant Society about why we need to give children um, a rite of passage at the age of 8 or at the age of 12, what they look like, what they're about, maybe a little bit about ethical celebrations and what they look like for those people who are unfamiliar with them. And I suppose 
in a way, we need to really ask the hard questions, you know, as to why are we bothering to try and find alternatives to these Catholic ceremonies when we shouldn't be having Catholic ceremonies in, in schools in the first place? And whether this is simply an Irish solution to an Irish problem. I was delighted that Yvonne agreed to have a talk to me about it, and I'm looking forward to sharing that interview with you now. Hello, hello. You are all welcome to um, If I Were the Minister for Education uh, from Ansha.net. It's Simon Lewis here, and I am delighted this week to be joined by Yvonne Cassidy, who is the chair of the Irish Ethical Celebrant Society. Uh, and I am I'm personally looking forward to this one because um, I have personal interest in this in some ways as well. So I, I'm kind of very interested to hear about what they do and uh, and how uh, it feeds into the education system, because it's very interesting concept that they are uh, they've launched and uh, this is how and very much involved in in the education system so uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to that and so Yvonne you're very welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to do our interviews. No problem Simon thanks for having me on. Great stuff no problem at all so we always start off with the first interview that a teacher always gets uh, when they apply for a job. Uh, Yvonne is not a teacher so uh, uh, you're you're about to get your first taste of a teacher interview. (laughs) which is tell us about yourself and maybe tell us a little bit, a, a bit about the Irish Ethical Ce- uh, Celebrant Society and when, when it began and the types of people that get involved. Okay, um, so I am a celebrant. I qualified as an independent celebrant. So that means I'm, I'm not aligned with any particular group or religion. Um, and I qualified back in 2017. And it came became very apparent quite soon after qualifying that, you know, once you had qualified as a celebrant, there wasn't really anywhere for you to go. Or there wasn't any uh, community um, in Ireland at the time for for independent celebrants. You were kind of like a lone wolf just wandering around. So myself and a group of colleagues, we got together and we founded um, the Irish Ethical Celebrant Society. And that was in 2018. And it was basically formed to be a home for independent celebrants. Um, you know, so we could build up a community, we could support each other, we could learn from each other, which is very important, you know, that we upskill all the time. Um, so that was really how it began. And the types of people that get involved in celebrancy is very funny. It's it's a wide mix of people, you know, there are a lot of people from performance backgrounds and writers especially are attracted to it. Um, But then there are people like myself who come from mainly a a business background, uh, administration background. So it's a real mix of people. You you never know, you know, who who would be a servant really. It's it's a really um, interesting mix of people. And we have a very diverse membership all throughout Ireland, which is great. And, you know, it's a huge pool of knowledge and just real diversity. Great. And I mean, I, I know it seems like a very basic question, but what is an ethical celebrant? So as an ethical celebrant, we are, you know, professionally trained celebrants. So, you know, we've all come through a rigorous training course um, to facilitate and lead ceremonies. So our ceremonies are weddings and naming day celebrations, end of life celebrations, memorials, and now these milestone celebrations for children which we have developed and celebrants our celebrants you know as I said we're not aligned with any particular belief system we all have our own beliefs and that's that's the way we wanted it to be is you know you you don't have to align with a particular belief system we have people who are religious non-religious they might be spiritual but not necessarily religious so it's again it's a 
mix of people, a, a diverse mix of people. And the main thing is that, you know, we leave our beliefs at the door. When somebody comes to us for a ceremony, whatever the ceremony is, our beliefs are not, um, you know, are not taken into account. It's what the couple, what the family, um, you know, what the, the person who was deceased, it, it's what they believed in. And um, that is important to us. And we work um, to facilitate that for them. Brilliant. And I, I think these days, I mean, most people are probably very familiar with naming ceremonies and probably mm. civil ceremonies or, or, or ethical, you know, ethical, cere- you know, cere- ceremonies that don't have a, a religious uh, affiliation, particularly weddings these days. And it, it's it, I think actually na- the, I think it was this year that was the first year that um, non-religious weddings um, overtook. Uh, religious weddings um oh. in the in the census so um i mean people are familiar with most people are familiar with it, but for those of you for those, those people who who might never have been to let's say um uh, a wedding from that's that's uh or something like that um mm. what does it work like how how, how would they how, what would they but, see yeah i mean they can be as traditional or as you know completely crazy as you like really the the main focus is if an example for a wedding the main focus is the couple so, you know, the celebrant will meet with the couple beforehand and really get to know them. And that's the core of it is that the celebrant will really get to know the couple, what their beliefs are, what their kind of values are, who they are as people, who they are as a couple. And that is weaved then into the ceremony. And, you know, we, we they would mostly have kind of the traditional things like vows and ring exchange. You know, people still like to walk up the aisle. Um, but some people don't. Some people, you know, will walk up together and some people will just be there when their guests arrived. Um, But yeah, so you have a lot of traditional elements that are in these types of ceremonies, but then you have the real personal side of things. So, you know, with regards to wedding ceremony, the story of the couple will be shared to the guests and people might not necessarily know all of the little details. And we have rituals that we include. Now you you have the traditional ones that you would often see in church weddings, like the, the lighting of the candles. And it's a unity um, ritual. And, you know, it's all about the, the couple coming together in a, in a joined life. And we have things like sand ceremonies, which for families is great because all of the members of the family have a different colored sand mm-hmm. that can be poured into a beautiful vase, you know. Um, which is a really personal thing. It's a great way of getting your children involved if you have children um, and the kids, you know, they love making a mess with the sand. And then we try to incorporate ancient traditions, for example, like a hand fasting, which is an ancient uh, Celtic tradition. It's the oldest wedding tradition in the world. And so that hands are bound together using material. and, And couples love doing that, especially couples coming to Ireland who want a bit of the kind of Irish tradition and yeah. um, love including that so there's lots of personal elements and um, you know the celebrants will listen to the couple and kind of try and take something that they're uh, they're interested in and weave that into a ritual for you know for example with a hand fasting county colors could be used for okay. for the ribbons you know if there's a great rivalry between yeah. between the bride and the groom or the, or the couple the groom and the groom or whatever you know they can use um you know county colors and you know it always gets a bit of a laugh and it's uh, it's quite humorous and to have this rivalry going through through the ceremony and but yeah very personal Mm -hmm. very bespoke and very centered around whether it's the couple or the family or the child Um, and that's the main thing about them very good very good and uh, i mean before because i i know we have to get on to the education but i I, i'm just too fascinated by by, by others and i think i think people are are, are eager to to know more about uh this this sort of stuff And, and i suppose um in some ways 
you know, uh, one of the one of the things that a, a celebrant will cover will be this, as, as it's called, the end of life ce- uh, celebration and uh, or ceremony. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that when it comes to you know people who may not have a, a religious upbringing or who may who may not practice a particular religion. Um, the inevitable of death can be a kind of a, a scary time because, you know, in some ways, people who would have a faith, you know, have <laughs> have it easy. Let's say they, they they may believe, you know, that when they die, they will go to an afterlife of some sort and, you know, yeah. and, and and they will live forever. Whereas, you know, this sort of idea of, of just things stopping uh, can be quite quite can be quite uh, quite quite off putting in a way. Uh, but, you know, in some ways, like, you know, I, I talked to my sister who, who would uh, have a faith and that's her version her her life uh, path or her or, and her end of life path is sort of set out for her whereas someone like me uh you know I'm, I'm probably going to be having to you know leave everything to to whoever's left um you know uh whoever survives me and um and i i would believe you know that i don't really mind what they do because i won't know very much about it but other people may have plans and things like that for what they'd like and and i like the idea of a sort of a an, you know, an ethical celebration or a ceremony or uh, something to mark, I suppose, the, the, the end of end of life. Um, how does how, how would that work? Because I think a lot of people probably don't. I mean, it's probably the least familiar of, uh, of the various ceremonies that, that happen. It is. And, you know, we're very conscious of that as a society. And, you know, we're always trying to find ways of letting people know that this is an option for them and and we have a number of our celebrants who are just solely funeral celebrants they don't do weddings or naming day ceremonies and and you know it it is such an important it's funny you saying you you know you leave it to whoever is behind because we would always encourage people to to let your loved ones know and what you want to happen at the end of um, at the end of your life because you know when people are plunged into grief especially you know with with sudden deaths or um, you know really tragic deaths it's um you know it can be very hard to make decisions and you can be very easily led along by just what's expected or what's the done thing and um, mm-hmm. and then you know six months a year down the line you're kind of thinking oh god you know I should have done this or I should have done that or that wasn't really you know how so and so would have liked that you know so we would always encourage people to have those conversations we actually do run a death cafe um, which is basically a group of people coming together to talk about that. I mean, I would talk about that all day long if you let me, but, um, you know, but again, we found, felt it was very important for us to facilitate these conversations um, around that and get people opening up about what is a taboo subject still here in Ireland. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are, you know, there are, are ethical uh, end of life celebrations and we do look at it as a celebration as well. You know, we do, obviously they're very, um, you know, somber and, and, very sad occasions but there can be space to celebrate the person who has passed there can even be space for humor and the irish are great for their for their humor especially in in a funeral and a lot of the end of life celebrations would be done through say crematorium obviously not a church setting and funeral homes a lot of funeral homes now i think are creating a space for things like wakes and um, and for these celebrations and um, because they do recognize that there is a need for it and that more and more people are kind of coming around to this idea um, or exploring this idea that they can have an alternative to the, mm. the church ceremony and um, even graveside I mean some people still want to be buried in a grave and um, in a graveyard but they don't necessarily want 
the, the church ceremony um, and you know some of our members would facilitate facilitate graveside ceremonies mm. and again they're done with the family if the person who has passed away has left instructions that's always you know that's always helpful for everybody involved mm. um, and again you know it's it's very much what music did they like what were they interested in how can we weave their story into this how can we celebrate this life um, you know that has passed as opposed to just mourning and I know that probably sounds weird but it you know it is time for celebration as well and we also um you know we try and encourage people to forward plan and you know some of our members have actually had the opportunity to sit down with people who knew that they were dying they knew they had terminal illnesses and they knew that they were dying um, and they actually sat down and planned their own funeral so they mm. sat with the celebrant they told them what they wanted said who they wanted to do readings, what readings they wanted, what music they wanted. Um, and I just think that's fantastic. I mean, you're you're involved in your final hurrah, so to speak, and, and you get to have the last word, which is, you know, what we would all like, I think, in life. Um, but it's also great for the family who's left behind because they don't have to make those decisions. And it is yeah. a very tough time when you have to make of course, yeah, really, no, no, that makes you know, really tough decisions. That's it. No, that 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 makes a, a, a lot of sense. And, and and thanks for thanks for sharing that. I suppose we better move on to education because that mm. is uh, the point of this podcast, I guess. Um, but um, you know, I, I suppose Ireland is almost unique in the world where preparation for Catholic ceremonies or sacraments uh, kind of take place during the school day. Um, I think I think we I don't know if we're the only country in in, the, in Europe, but we're we're certainly. Um, almost the only country um, and and as you probably know and as, as many parents know there's just thousands of children across the country that have to go to uh, that have no choice other than go to a, a Catholic school because there isn't an alternative and many um, are you know opted out of faith formation um, so uh, I mean what your group seems to be offering it looks like an alternative option for children in second class and sixth class to the communion or confirmation and um, because I mean I do I, I, I know there's many families who, who may not have you know uh, may, may not have a faith anymore but just go along with things and um, you know because they don't want their child to be left out but this seems like an alternative would you mind kind of telling uh, me uh, about both the ceremonies or uh, the the one that's in second class and the one that's around sixth class yeah so you know the the reason behind us, I suppose, developing these ceremonies is because yeah, we are we were very conscious that, um, there there doesn't seem to be much of an alternative for people who are of of a different faith um or of no faith in in schools and and like you said, most of the schools are still um still have a Catholic ethos, so you know we wanted to develop something that was there as an alternative because we feel that every child should have the option to celebrate whether they you know if they want to have a celebration they should have that option and um, and we wanted to provide something for them and um, so we created two ceremonies we have our stepping stone ceremony which is for children in around communion age and then we have our coming of age ceremony which is for you know what would traditionally be confirmation age in school and you know coming of age and um rituals are something that has happened the world around you know through time and through different cultures you know it's it's not something that's new um, and traditionally kind of around these ages as well like um there, there seems to have been this pattern of some sort of ritual for children and um, throughout different cultures and, and different times so you know we, we wanted to 
provide this alternative. And our Stepping Stones ceremony, which concentrates on children in and around uh, the communion age, is, you know, they're very fun. And that was the main thing we wanted to concentrate on was, you know, kids at that age, they just want fun and they want to enjoy the celebration. And, and we wanted to, like all of our other ceremonies, to be really personal to them. So we we had a team of about six celebrants who, you know, they did tremendous research. They put in so much time and energy into creating these ceremonies and they really created to what I think are wonderful ceremonies um, for kids. Mm-hmm. So the Stepping Stones ceremony is um, we, we developed a, a series of themes that we could focus on. And again, they're very bespoke. The celebrant would work with the child to see what relates to them. But we have themes such as the child themselves, which is, you know, what are their interests? What are their hobbies? What do they like? You know, who's who's their friends? You know, what's their favorite subject in school? Mm. Very personal to the child. And then we looked at the theme of family. So who's in their family? You know, is it a is it a large family? You know, is it a very small family? You know, can we bring that into the ceremony as well? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like are they a big sibling, you know, and, and the responsibility that comes with being a big sibling. And um, then we also looked at things like their community. So are they involved in anything? Is there clubs that they're involved in? Is there, you know, any any social things that they are involved in within their community? Um Joy and fun, obviously, were a huge part of it. You know, what do they do for fun? What do they like to do? And um, responsibility was another team. So what's important to them? And I think that's, that can be quite surprising. You know, children of that age, they are more aware now, you know, than probably we were in school mm-hmm. of things like, you know, climate change or, you know, just the stuff that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. I think they are more aware. And obviously that kind of comes from probably more, uh, exposure to things through the media and stuff but and um, they do they are aware of these things so we wanted to bring in that element of it as well and then the environment and our culture and culture was a, a very important one because our schools are filled with children now from different cultures from from different countries and it's important to uh, respect that it's important to celebrate that as well you know they mightn't be catholic they might be of a different faith can we weave that into it so my what are the rituals that um, are in their country or from their culture that can maybe be incorporated into this type mm. of ceremony. Um, so that's the stepping stones uh, ceremony. And then the coming of age is very, you know, it is very similar, but obviously the, the teams would slightly change then. So when it comes to the coming of age, you know, you have friendship is a huge one because, you know, yourself at that age, your friends are your life. You know, mm. you know, when you're 12 or 13, your your parents are so uncool and all you want is your friends. And, okay. you know, they're such a formative uh, part of your life. So mm. we look at um, friendship as a huge part and then maturity as well. And, mm. um, you know, because you are, you have this big transition from primary school into secondary school, you know, you've all these changes in your body and stuff as well that you're dealing yeah. with. So that's a huge team. For the coming of age ceremony um so yeah they're very much focused on the child what's the child about you know who are they and lots of fun we try to inject lots of fun into these ceremonies and make them really personal and some you know a real celebration that's the important thing is that it is a real celebration of the children yeah. uh brilliant and, and where, where would these ceremonies kind of take place i suppose 
Um, yeah, the thing about it is they can really take place anywhere. You know, they are for groups of children and individual children. So you could do it with a group of friends. You could do it with some maybe uh, classmates who are not participating in communion or confirmation as well, um, or a child by themselves. So, you know, with, with children by themselves, they could uh, take place in the home. Um, and similar with naming day ceremonies, you know, I've done a few naming day ceremonies that took place in the actual child's home. And mm. um, if it was a group of children, you would probably look at maybe, you know, a room in a hotel or community hall or somewhere like that, that you should sure. hire out um, to, to do a ceremony there. Very good. Now, um, as you as you probably know, uh, as, as, as Irish people, we're, we're, we're kind of a, a nation of sceptics and cynical people, begrudgers, all the rest of it and everything else. And mm. I, I know there's a, a, a number of uh, people that might be saying, oh, sure, look, why, why would why would we need an alternative to the communion confirmation? You know, and this this, this is just an Irish uh, uh, solution to an Irish problem. And, with, uh, uh, and and why should we be doing this at all? But I mean, I, I also know. Um, I mean, I don't come from a, a Christian background, like rites of passages uh, for children, you know, happen all over the world. Um, I mean, I made uh, I, I come from a Jewish background and, uh, you know, I made my bar mitzvah when I was when I was 13 and my uh, Christian friends had their confirmation. Um, I believe, you know, um, I know there isn't a particular ceremony for in Islam when when a child turns 13, but there is a there is a, a you know, specific duties that that happen and mm. circumcision is part of that. Um, you know, and uh, so, I mean, uh, particularly Semitic cultures like like I suppose that Ireland would be familiar with and um, there are certain rites of passages, but I mean, Outside of outside of what we're probably familiar with, I, I mean, are there many you know other you know cultural um, rites of passages that you're familiar with that you know I suppose in order to address that begrudgery that might come from why are we doing this at all? Yeah, and I mean like that begrudgery, and um, you know if people say why do we need it, well, why don't we need it? Do you know what mm. I mean? Like this, this, we're a different country than when I made my communion. You know, I'm from a Catholic background. Um, I made my communion in the 80s um, and it's a very different country than it was then you know in, in my class we were all Catholic mm. you know there was nobody that wasn't a Catholic and you know in my own child's class and um, you know there's just people of different religions just people of no religion so it is a very different um, different society different environment so we, we absolutely need these types of ceremonies and um, nobody should be left out nobody should be excluded based on their culture or their religion um, or, or beliefs or lack of but yeah so rituals rituals seem to have happened throughout the world and um, mostly you know they were endurance rituals than anything else and it was a, a lot of them related to to the boys so it was kind of your passage from boy to man and um, mm. for girls what we seemed to find was that marriage was the rite of passage <laughs> so that's all we got um but for for boys it was a lot of um, endurance rituals and um, to show that you know they were strong or um, you know that they had become a man mm. um so the vikings you know they would have had their rituals um greek in ancient greece like countries or places like sparta you know the boys were taken away at an early age and had to go through uh, you know, training and military training and um, to become a man um, in our pagan times as well in, in ancient Ireland and in, in ancient times, there were two ceremonies um, again around the ages of seven and again around the ages of, you know, 12 or 13 that recognised um, 
these rites of passage these the one for round seven was like you're becoming it's the age of reason ceremony and mm -hmm. um, and then the the one for around 12 or 13 was more a, a development ceremony so it was again acknowledging your your maturity your your sexual maturity and and kind of focusing on that so yeah rituals seem to have happened throughout cultures throughout time there's a, there's one that we learned um of in australia the aboriginals um would basically it seems like it's called the tossing ceremony and it would give they would give the boy uh, the bumps <laughs> so we were wondering is that where the bumps come from <laughs> that okay. we all do at birthday parties you know who knows but basically the boy was given the bumps and uh, you know if he could get through that then he had to go on this was like the first right passage they had to do to become a man and then after that there was more heavy heavy duty endurance trials that he had to uh, participate in and, and get through in order to become a man but yeah very male focused mm. it seems um, and lots of endurance so ours are obviously more fun um ceremonies you know we, we're not about the endurance it's more about the joy and the fun okay so it won't be we won't be tossing logs uh, we won't no no i'm <laughs> like disappointed by that now to be honest we might do the bumps who knows <laughs> yeah it's it's it is funny because even from an educational point of view i mean with there there is that 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 point around the age of seven or eight where you know even educationally children uh, move away from you know inward thinking in a way to this age of reason and and you know i i assume you know in in ancient times that would have been seen as possibly some you know maybe more um uh you, you know I suppose um, religious or or whatever mm. equivalent of religion was at the time. I'm trying to think of the the word, but it's not it's not coming to me. Um, but uh, so marking it in some way as a celebration of that change in a, a, a change in in thinking or in the way they see the world and so on, and and how we teach even you know it differs from infants. You know when they move into maybe first to second class. You, you start to change the, change your teaching methodologies because the children are ready for, you know, being able to reason, being able to empathize, being able to do mm -hmm. things like that. And then I guess, you know, obviously um, when they're 12 and 13, you know, it all, it's all, all centered around puberty and, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I, it makes sense in a way that there would be something to, to, to mark that. And particularly, I suppose, in an Irish context, when, you know the majority of people are marking it in a, in a particular way um you know that those that don't do that you know do have do have something which i suppose leads to my next question in a way um because i, I kind of find it interesting that uh, like i work in an educate together school um and you know we we would have you know i'd say about half of the families in our school would celebrate um the catholic rites of passages um so you know um we would while we don't teach or provide faith formation within the school day, uh, we have a relationship and, and pretty much every Educate Together school would have a relationship with their local uh, parish or their local uh, church. Um, this is for Catholic children. Um, and um, they, we would pass on information to say, look, there's lessons going on after school at this time. Similarly, you know, for Muslim children, we would have, you know, there can be I think I think sometimes they're the Quran club it's known as uh, sometimes after school or whatever um and um I I I I suppose you know we having that relationship to accommodate uh pupils it, it strikes me you know I suppose that a similar arrangement might be interesting for a catholic school you know to provide information I'm not saying they should you know you know send you know some I, I don't like the idea of children some children being in one classroom and then moving you know the other kids to another room to do uh, a different rite of passage I, I I don't like the idea of that but certainly providing 
um, you know, the information to non-Catholic children, um, I think we might maybe it would be a lot more appropriate to what tends to happen nowadays is that non-Catholic children are asked to be part of a Catholic ceremony to do a job, let's say. Um, I would, I, I think it might be maybe more appropriate for a Catholic school to say, look, here's, you know, uh, a, a, an alternative um, kind of uh, celebration um, and here's the information. I mean, does that, would that be something that you'd agree with or would it be a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I suppose from from our initial kind of promotion of these ceremonies, we're, we're looking at uh, targeting the, the parents directly, you know, and kind of trying to keep keep the schools out of it, so to speak. And um, now I know we, we did contact the Educate Together schools um, about the ceremonies with information um, and, you know, very much so Educate Together schools as, as a target audience, I suppose. And, mm. um, you know, I suppose with, with Catholic schools or with, with schools with a Catholic ethos, you don't know the reaction you're going to get if you do send on this information. And um, so that's why I suppose we, we took the, the view of let's let's target the parents directly. But yeah, absolutely. I think the information should should be available if if a parent came to the school and said, look, we're, you know, we're not participating in communion or confirmation. Is there anything else that we can do? And mm. um, and it is something that we are looking at as to, you know, how do we build those relationships? Is it true parent-teacher associations? Is it true just, you know, general word of mouth? Or is it true, you know, contacting the schools directly with this information just to, for them to have it and keep it on file so that if, if they are asked for it and um, that it is available to people. Most people I've spoken to, they haven't even kind of considered that there would be an alternative or that they could do an alternative. You know, I spoke to some people and they were thinking, oh, you know, we were just going to go away when it came to kind of communion time. Now, I know at the moment, I think most of the preparation is done outside of the school. I think COVID has had a big effect on on how much is done in the schools and Mm -hmm. in terms of, of preparation for the communion. I know in my day we were we were in we were in church every week every day probably yeah. <laughs> when it was communion yeah. year so it was very heavy I, I don't know if it's as heavy um in the schools at, you know now but yeah I think absolutely being able to get an alternative through the school would would be fantastic yeah and I, I think um like to be to be honest I mean from just you know working working on the ground with with uh, and most of my colleagues working in Catholic schools and and many of them are quite happy being there um that but I mean, there, there is this um, want uh, to support children who who are opted out of religion. Like, they're, it's not like they're seen as a in a negative light. I mean, they they're, they're sort of caught in a way between a you know two two competing demands of you know the mm-hmm. state are are looking for them to accommodate children who who may not be of the same uh, faith as a school, but they also have on the other side you know their patron body who who want uh, them to be missionaries, I suppose, for want of a better word, to to spread the word of uh, uh, as, as you say. So and in some ways they're caught in the middle, but I think they they generally verge on the side of wanting to do what's best for the child mm. no matter what uh, so i i mean i i wouldn't i i wouldn't think um you know the information will be rejected per se at all or to be or to be given a negative reaction I, I think things have moved on a little bit like that now while all, all the stuff is still going on you know with the because it has to um you know it, it um i i do think that people are looking for you know answers um I, I i was sort of laughing as you were saying you know that a lot of people um, who aren't religious now that they, they didn't consider an alternative they seem to go away it seems like disneyland is sort of like the uh 
the kind of alternative to uh, to communion for a lot of Optide children in very much the same way as uh, Christmas for me uh, or for most Jewish people is to go to a Chinese takeaway on on Christmas Day because they were the only thing open. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of funny, various you know, sets of groups kind of tend to find their uh, find their alternative, whatever oh, that might yeah. be. So Disneyland for uh, non-communion people and uh, Chinese takeaway for uh, Jewish people. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny, but uh, it's great that there's this uh, other thing. I was going to um, you know to a- ask you about uh, another group called a Little Bit My Little Big Day. I don't know if you're mm. familiar with them, but um, they seem to have been doing something for for a few years. And COVID put a, put a, put pay to it. Um, and and this was a question I kind of had really uh, on that was. You know, they, they seem to take groups of children together, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, from lots of different schools. Um, but I, I think you answered it already. You know, yours, you, can't, you do do groups as well as individual ceremonies. Is that right? Yeah. So we would be open to, you know, um, individual children or groups. And um, we're happy to facilitate both, both ceremonies. Yeah, I, I have heard of um, My Little Big Day. And I think that came about from a parent, like, mm. you know, probably like yourself, who wanted something for for their own child and then created this ceremony so it's fantastic that you know that has been going for for a few years and that and um, i think it's in cork somewhere like that that they've been able to facilitate ceremonies um for children yeah they, i i think they've uh they're the, the couple that the organizer are based in dublin but they were able to oh, run right Cork right. most recently but uh it's um yeah it's it, it, i think it, it came from exactly that mm-hmm. parents uh, kind of saying like we need something we need something yeah. for our children and 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 that's what they came up with so it was, it was it's great um you know in a way that we have a, more, a sort of more formalized maybe uh group to maybe take that on um or or work work in the same space or whatever it might be but uh i i gosh i could talk to you all day I, i'm really <laughs> enjoying this conversation but unfortunately uh I, it does have to come to a close now i always ask um my guests on the, on this uh on this podcast what they would do if they were the minister for, Ed- for education i think you are my first guest who's not directly involved in the education system so you're it's even more interesting to me uh what someone who's who's coming who's probably looking in from the outside would do if they were the minister for education so i i i did ask you that with a few days notice so i, I hope yeah. you can get <laughs> to think so what would you what would be the the first thing you do if you had a benign dictatorship and uh, could run the department of education Oh, and because I'm not an educator or not an educator, it's probably completely useless. Um, but what I would what I would do, and, and this is just something I feel personally about, is I would change the way Irish is taught in school. OK, um, I think it's taught in completely the wrong way. Um, you know, and like a lot of Irish people, I can pronounce the words, I can read the words, I haven't a clue what the words are. I couldn't okay. put them into a sentence. I couldn't speak and um, I couldn't hold a conversation. Um, and, you know, I did I did Irish for what, however many years you're in school, you know, the whole whole time of school, 13 years or whatever. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's taught in a completely wrong way. I think it should be more uh, conversational. I think the, you know, through COVID um, and homeschooling and, and listening into my, my child's Zoom calls, I could hear some of the materials that were used, um, you know, in, in teaching Irish and it's so outdated I just don't see how children would relate to it you know there was a teddy with the voice of a middle-aged man it's like that's not something a child would relate to <laughs> and that's, that's just something personally I feel you know it's it's a huge regret of mine that I, I can't speak my native language um, and I think if it was taught um, in in a different way in schools more conversationally than you know this is how you spell this word or this is how you pronounce this word tell me you know talk to me 
in my native language and I will learn it, especially children, especially if you get them at that young age. Um, I think there'd be a lot more people being able to speak Irish. And like I said, it's probably completely useless and, you know, of no uh, of no real consequence. But that's just something I would. I did actually have a, another thought. Um, and again, it's probably not, you know, not doable. But I know from um, from my own school and, you know, I'm part of the, the PTA committee um, and just generally, you know, attending meetings with the school and mm. um, that's you know the staff staff shortages are you know, seems to be the daily torment of of principals and um you know our principal said you know she hates waking up in the morning looking at emails to see who's out can yeah. she facilitate everybody during the day um and it did strike me that you know there's probably people who would be really good teachers who are excluded from training to be teachers because they don't have the irish or the maths mm. requirements and you might laugh if I say this, but in the in the way that secondary schools where there's individual teachers for individual subjects mm. in a primary school setting, I don't know. I thought maybe that could work that Absolutely. you had a teacher that specialized in Irish or in English or in and it would could attract people to that particular role as opposed to I know in, in primary schools you have to be an all rounder, you have to be able to do everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're. I don't know. Right. It, as I said, Simon, it's probably completely useless, and you go, no, no, this one's bonkers. Not at all. Not, not at all. Uh, in fact, you know, just to just to to let you know and to to affirm what you're saying, there's there's you're you're, you're striking all the the right notes, um, because I mean, uh, I love it when people bring up these uh, these uh, kind of uh, issues because I mean the two the two big um barriers i think for 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 people wanting to get into primary education uh are are irish um which is which is seen as one of them and religion is obviously the other one uh where where you ha- where it's very very difficult to get into the system um if you uh if you aren't catholic basically i mean i'm i am the only uh um principal in the country from an ethnic minority and uh mm-hmm. you know that 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 says a lot and there's a lot of talk about that at the moment uh, there was a conference only this week about diversifying the primary profession and these are things that are, are big things like the Irish language, like, uh, you know, the religious expectations, like, um, you know, the idea of, 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 you know, racial inequality and institutionalized stuff. So, I mean, it's all there and you're not, and, you know, it's, it's great, you know, even um, that, that, that you're, that it's been, re- that it's recognized even outside of our bubble in the education world. And actually in terms of the specialized teacher in Irish, it's something they use in Wales really successfully and that um, they've, they've done amazing work in actually increasing the amount of wealth speakers in wales without um basically excluding teachers they, there's most schools would have a specialized welsh speaking teacher mm. and they actually teach it better because they love the language um rather than you know people who are reluctant irish speakers like, yeah. like i think most irish people are for whatever reason we just seem to you know we really want to be irish speakers but we we just don't do it um or, and uh it's not insurmountable i mean you know there's there, there are some um primary school teachers who um you know from you know very very few from from diverse backgrounds um that have to start that had to learn irish from scratch um and that's um you know so and they've done it but it's that's very very difficult and most people wouldn't be bothered with the effort unless they you know desperately desperately wants to go into teaching so no you're absolutely not useless at all and really great you're, you're probably the only person who said something educational when i asked that question most people <laughs> i say so say say something much uh, much less educational to be honest with you <laughs> so uh, fair play that's that that's brilliant so listen we're gonna uh, i mean i think i think most people listening to this would, be, would, would probably be interested in finding more about 
um, the Irish Ethical Celebrants uh, Society. So where, where could people learn more and find out about you uh, or uh, and even to get in touch with you um, about, you know, um, hearing more about the ceremonies or maybe getting their uh, own children involved or children in their schools involved? Yep, so we have a website. It is uh, www.iecs.ie and you can find out, you know, all about the ceremonies that we do. You can um, browse through our directory of celebrants as well and see, you know, who's in your area maybe. Um, our uh, email address is hello at iecs.ie and then we are, are on Facebook and on Instagram as well. So if you just type in Irish Ethical Celebrants, um, we, will, we will come up there. So um, you get all the information there. Oh, fantastic, Yvonne. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you and talking to you. And thank you for, for doing what you're doing, because I think, you know, many family like, families like my own uh, who won't be uh, going through the, the, the traditional, I suppose, or the Catholic uh, rites of passages uh, will often be looking for uh, something alternative um, if they wish to do so. And it's, it's fantastic that you're providing that for, for, for those families. So uh, thank you for doing that. And thank you for agreeing to talk to me. It's, it's always lovely to meet, meet people uh, doing different things in the Irish education system. So that is Yvonne Cassidy, who is the chair of the Irish Ethical Celebrant Society. Thanks for joining me on If I Were the Minister for Education from onshaw.net. Thanks so much, Simon. So there we have it. Um, for me, a, a fascinating insight into the work uh, of the Ethical Celebrant Society here in Ireland and, and the work that they do, I mean, even outside of the educational end of things, I mean, yes, this, you know, some of you might be, you know, interested. And I think it's kind of fascinating, you know, the idea that a, an Irish Catholic school would provide information for their non-Catholic uh, children to make this rite of passage uh, either uh, around the age of eight or the uh, or the age um, of 12 and whether they would do that or not because I mean in a way that is a real test of inclusiveness because I'm sick of hearing these schools going about how inclusive they are well here's your first test provide the information for an alternative because that's inclusion in a way in action because you are actually giving an alternative for them now it's not quite inclusion but it's certainly a bit a, bit, a little better than actually just ex exclusion which is happening but anyway outside of the educational end of things i hope uh, this gave you a bit of an insight um into uh, other aspects of ethical celebrations you know obviously you know, I, I'm uh, one of the very few openly atheist teachers in Ireland. Most atheist uh, teachers, and there's a lot of us out there, have to hide their identity because of Section 37 of the Employment Act, which allows uh, schools to discipline uh, teachers um, if it if can be proved that they are a threat to the ethos of their school. So basically being an atheist is a threat to a Catholic ethos or a religious ethos to any school. So many of them can't uh, actually say it, but for those of uh, people who talk to me about atheism and, uh, and being a teacher, they always, always ask is, but, you know, Simon, what's going to happen when you die? And uh, I hope, you know, this interview gave you a little bit of an insight, I suppose, into, I suppose, you know what what happens really when uh, when someone who is an atheist dies and what kind of I suppose celebration of their life there is and and their opinions on it and I suppose I shared my own thoughts and my own feelings uh, around that uh, in this uh, which may have may or may not have been of interest to you look I could rave on for another forty five minutes about this so I better stop uh, as we reach the forty seven minute barrier here that I'm putting imposing on myself so thank you so much for listening thanks again to Ivan. Uh, and to all the people working in the uh, as, as independent celebrants in the Ethical Celebrant Society. Um, if you are interested 
in um, having an ethical celebration rather than a religious one, uh, you know where to find them now. And uh, I hope you do do that um, because this is something I can only assume will grow and grow and grow. Uh, anyway, that is it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>